Welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. I'm your host, Scott Ramage. In this episode, I have the opportunity to interview Jake Thompson of Compete Every Day. I've been following Jake for the last five, six years, and he has brought a lot of value to my life. I just finished reading his book, Compete Every Day. It is incredible. And without any further ado, here is the one, the only Jake Thompson. Hey, Jake, welcome to the show, man. What's up, Scott? Let's have some fun today. Bet. I'm pumped for this. Uh, thanks for coming on. How's your day been? It's good. It's good. I think I'm jacked up after our last, I think we've had a half hour offline, <laughs> uh, just talking shop and life and business and everything else. And so very much looking forward to today's conversation and hopefully adding some value to our listeners and, and helping them obviously show up and compete. Yeah, I had to. I had to give myself a little bit of a pep talk. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be uh, transparent here. I had to give myself a pep talk this morning of not to do the fanboy thing, because um, <laughs> you're just a regular guy doing really cool stuff. I uh, hope you're okay with me saying that. But um, I appreciate I, that. Yeah, I started following you as soon as I moved to the DFW area, which was about 2015. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, I had no idea what Compete Every Day was, and you know, I come from the. I owned a gym. And here I am moving to the DFW area and there's this DFW guy with traveling around slinging shirts. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. That was it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, the origin of Compete Every Day, because I I'm genuinely interested in this story. Yeah. So uh, honestly, it was just kind of a weird happenstance how it came together. I grew up wanting to be a sports agent pursued that dream in college and in grad school. And with about two weeks left in grad school, after kind of seeing how the meat, the hot dog was made, I decided I didn't want any part of it. Um, the agency that I had been working with and interned with was great. Uh, the owner I'm still friends with, the agent I worked with, played in a lot of gray areas that I just wasn't comfortable with. And so I got out fall of 2008. Uh, everyone remembers how bad the economy sucked in. And, and I honestly just couldn't get a job. Uh, I had an MBA, non-traditional work experience. So entry-level jobs overlooked me, experienced jobs overlooked me. Uh, and so I just started freelancing, trying to cut my teeth on anything and everything. Basic graphic design I had taught myself, basic HTML WordPress sites. Um, all of this stuff I taught myself on the side while trying to work with these agents as a way to stand out ended up coming in handy later, just as I would get one client. And then that client would refer me to another one, refer me to another one. And flash forward a few years, I had a pretty good consulting business. I was working with a number of companies in DFW, a couple of large international companies, some small mom and pop shops. Uh, but I was really unfulfilled with my work more than anything. I, I made great money. My roommate and I were single at the time. We were going out in the Addison area of Dallas all the time. Right. We, you know, I was enjoying life, but I really wasn't fulfilled uh, with what I was doing. And, and the biggest thing that I think got me is I realized I was only trading time for money. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, uh, when I ran out of time in terms of life, like I just built this great sandcastle that was going to wash away. There was nothing that I could kind of pass on to a family. Uh, if I had one one day, there was nothing that I was doing that would live beyond my name in terms of impact. And so I started exploring this idea of competing every day, not against anyone else, but against yourself and what it would look like to show up, push yourself every day to be better than you were the day before. The timing worked out great because I just kind of got back into fitness with starting at a CrossFit gym. 
Uh, so I was in that mindset every day of trying to push myself. I was building a career in the same way. And so I started to look at those parallels. And out of that, just threw this idea out on a ski trip, 2010 with a couple of buddies and was like, hey, what do you think about Compete Every Day as, as just this brand name and message? And both guys were like, man, that fits you perfectly. Like you're a competitive guy. This seems like a great fit. So honestly, that was it. I, I tried three or four different projects for about a six month period until May of 2011. And finally just decided to go with apparel. Uh, my best friend is a fan of the company out of Boston called Life is Good. Oh, yeah. uh, ironically, a stick figure named Jake is their logo. <laughs> and so Adam was like, man, you should look at t-shirts. I think you could do something with this. And so I had some money set aside for a trip, ended up putting it into a couple of boxes of t-shirts and tank tops with a hideous CED compete everyday print on the front. Uh, but I didn't care. I was so proud of it. And I just started selling it and hustling to anyone and everyone that would pay attention. I was selling them behind the CrossFit gym. I'd sell them at Starbucks parking lot, you name it. I was just out there trying to get that message that you should try to compete every day and see what happens in life. That's, that's really cool. Um, I love the, the fact that, you know, just you were pivoting, you were trying to figure it out as you're going. And I don't think a lot of people love to sit, tell their story of really where they started there. You know, you look at people and you're like, wow, they're successful. They're doing this speaking gig. They have a book They're They have a podcast. You know, I'm talking about you. They have a podcast. They, um, and then they have these shirts over here, which are really cool. And I, I've seen them in the CrossFit community, but really where that originated from. I love the stick figure, Jake. That's, that's really cool. Um, it's funny you talk about the pivot and just, we don't want to talk about that. There, there's a book I actually posted in our community, a Facebook community last night called Late Bloomers. It's by a guy named Rich Carlgaard. It's around this idea that, you know, there's all these 30 under 30 lists and 20 under 20 lists. And we don't really pay attention to the people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s that start catching stride. But if you look at some of the most successful stories of entrepreneurs and people in America, like they were in their forties, fifties, and sixties when they got going. And the whole book like looks at how a lot of us that may be listening kind of feel lost that we haven't caught our stride or hit, figured out what we want to do. And we're in our thirties or forties. Talk about how the last 10, 20, 30 years have actually helped us build a wide array of skill sets that can make us uber successful later. And so I shared that book and, and was kind of like, listen, I was late twenties, I had friends making a ton more money than I was. And here I am late twenties, early thirties, getting in my truck every weekend, driving out to a CrossFit event, hoping to make some money and sell some t-shirts coming home, doing it all over again the next week. And I'm living with a roommate and watching just all these other people that I knew doing so much better financially, so much farther along in their career. And it kind of sucked. Like mentally, it was a little bit of a grind, but I kept just that same pivot. Like, I'm going to try this. If it doesn't work, we're going to adjust. If it doesn't work there, we're going to adjust. And, and looking at life more as a science experiment, trying to get the right formula versus I have to get it figured out at, at 21. And if I don't, I'm stuck in this for the rest of my life. And if I'm at 40 and I hate my job and I hate everything about it, I can't change because I'm so far in versus like, it's okay to pivot at any point. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I love that. And I'm going to read that book, but I, cause I've heard the same statistics and I'm 47 and you know, people are, I think some people say, well, when are you going to grow up? Like, and figure out what you're going to do for a living. Never. The whole thing is I'm absolutely in love with the process. And one of the things I've really had to work on in the last couple of years is I felt a lot of um, angst over not really feeling like I had landed on the thing yet. And then the last year or so, 
it's, it's a mantra to myself is like, man, I'm just getting started. Like this is, there, there's no, it's too late. And I think that's a really great message for, I think men mostly who are kind of doing the daily grind thinking that's the only way. And, and the, the truth is, is it is not. Well, and you kept showing up, like, even though you didn't have it figured out, you kept showing up and trying things and trying to figure things. And that's the key is never losing that curiosity, never losing that love to try to figure it out. If you go ahead and admit defeat that this is what it is and this is what it's always going to be like, you're out. But if you're like, you know what, I'm going to show up today. I'll try something. Well, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I like podcasting. Maybe I want to start a podcast and I just keep sticking with it for a year, two years. We never know what happens and things start to develop out of it. Or, Hey, I want to try this. And you start building that skill, but that's the key is, is to keep showing up. And honestly, I think a lot of times we don't do it because we're so worried about what other people will say and, and how they criticize us. And you laughed about people saying, Oh, maybe you should grow up. Like I have family friends who for the first six, seven years, probably still some now when having compete are like, you should go get it like a day job. Like you should like stop t-shirts and like, you know, you, you should really go do that. And, and I don't know, you know, maybe there's a better option. And, and it's funny because I think about it now and I'm like, the people that were so quick to tell me that, so quick to discourage that, they've never once bought a shirt, bought a book, hired, like they're not the ones supporting me. So why would I care? at all with when they have to say. Right. And I, you know, you just have to keep that in mind. It's usually the people that are going to try to talk you out of it. They're not the ones that are going to be there to help you, to challenge you, to push you along. They may just be living in their own settled dreams and want you to too. I love that. And I think it's so important to hear. It's the same thing. Is that person paying your bills? Is that person supporting the family? Is that person living in your dreams? Because I'm pretty sure they're not. And that, this is a perfect segue into the end of your book. Um, and I don't really want to give it away, but you talk about what ifs. And that, like, I was like, that is such a good question. Like This whole what if. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about there's so much research and things that have been done around regret. And more than anything, getting to the end of our life and wishing all the things we wish we'd done. We look back and we wish we'd taken that trip. We wish we'd pursued that person. We'd wish we'd done that. And, and you get stuck asking these questions. Well, what if I hadn't been afraid? What if I'd tried that? What if I hadn't believed this idea that at 40, you can't start over or change careers? Like, what would my life look like? And it's always better to have the idea of, you know what, I tried that, it didn't work, I tried something else, and hmm, I wonder what if. And, and really, the reason I wanted to wrap the book up that way is because you could be reading it at 20 and you have a very different perspective on the next 60 years than someone that maybe is 40, 50 that's reading that book. And I don't want them to go through all of these choices that champions make and think, well, it's just too late for me at this point to make it. Like I'm too late in my career. I'm too far along this path. And I wanted to challenge them with the idea of like, you're better off going all in, giving everything you've got and saying, man, that was great. Didn't work out the way I expected. Then hmm, what if I hadn't tried that? Because the what if will haunt you until the very end. Whereas the mm, it didn't work out. That's a lesson learned is more of an experience and a memory that stays with you. Yeah. And it's, it's mostly what makes successful people grow is they have an idea or a dream or something and they chase it. And then if they fail, all that does is pave a pathway to where they're going to end up, which is usually something great. You know, my businesses I've done in the past, um, 
some of them were awesome. The CrossFit gym was awesome. I sold it because I was moving. Um, but my bike shop, I mean, it put me in a quarter million dollars of debt overnight when I closed the doors on that thing. Um, so, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And I've always chased everything. And I think people do, like you, you said earlier, they're coming to you, you know, there's this job or you could get a job in corporate and sales and make a ton of money. I'm like, I would not be fulfilled. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and looking, I mean, the lessons you probably learned at the bike shop have been pivotal now oh, in terms man. of how you operate. Just like I could look at like pursuing those couple of years in the agency world as a waste, but I'm like, actually I taught myself basic design, basic web, like that's played out years over end. I spent the first number of years with compete, packing up, driving, working events, getting to know people, but that taught me the importance of communication and sales in person and how do we work people through a booth. And so all of these pieces, if we look at it with the right perspective, can be incredibly valuable assets and weapons now into doing what we want. It's only by looking back, not with regret, not with man that sucked, but with, okay, what did I learn there? And what can I use now to be better in this pursuit? Yeah. Now I, it, here's a, an honest opinion from you, from me to you. I don't even know if it's an opinion. It's something that I held in my brain for a while. I loved your shirts. I loved your design. I kind of, you know, before I knew that there was anything else outside of shirts, because I was just in the, in the fitness world, but I actually was bothered by the name compete every day. Like I, and I'm sure you've heard this before. I was like, well, that's all the time. That's so stupid. I can't compete every day. I'm not like, I'll lose all the time. So let's dig into that. Let's get rid of that for everybody else because I'm way past that now. I mean, I, I'm, I totally get it. So well, you, well, I was about to say, you get the message now. Right. And, and really it's funny how that message. And when I go speak, like this is the elephant in the room. The first thing we have to address because there's the people that love to compete and then there's the group that's like, eh, not for me. Don't like sports. Don't care what you have to say. I'm not out here trying to beat anybody else. And the message really at its core is compete against your own best. Always be raising the bar. Like be proud of the work you've done, but don't be satisfied to where you just become complacent. You become lazy. You stay within your comfort zone. Like how are you going to focus on your race? And you think about, you know, horse racing, for instance, and the Kentucky Derby and the big races, Preakness and all of them, the horses wear blinders. They have blinders on so they don't see what anything else is going on. They're only focused straight ahead. That's why they run their fastest is because they're so intent on where they're going. And, and ultimately, it's the same with us in life. It's so easy to get distracted on our cell phones, on social media, about what someone else is doing. But competing every day is literally, what are you doing today to show up and be better than you were the day before? How are you competing against those fears? How are you competing against complacency? How are you competing to build great habits? Because at the end of the day, the word compete is to strive to gain or win something. And the way I believe in it, look at it is you're striving every day to reach your full potential, to find out what you were absolutely created to become and to pursue that. And most of us are going to fall short in that, but I would rather fall short just outside of reaching that potential than to be miles and miles and miles away from it because I never took action toward getting better. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And it, something just hit me is that, you know, a lot of times when we go into something and we, we have a competitive mindset, we don't necessarily always have a great time competing. Um, but victory is incredible, right? 
And so I love that because you're, you're going into every day. It's not going to be a party. It's not going to, there is a lot of hard work involved in getting better every day. You know, it's the 1% rule or, you know, you can unwrap it so many different ways. Well, and you, you come from the gym space. So a, a beautiful example of this is we both spent a great amount of time in the CrossFit space is the CrossFit open every year. It's their open tournament, open sectionals where every gym around the country would participate in the same five workouts over a five week period. Most gyms are not going to have somebody do so well that they qualify to go to a regional competition. Back in the day, even you had just a very select few, but the greatest moments in that open within a gym setting were never the top dog getting a great score. It was always that girl that had never been able to do pull-ups. And when that competitive fire got on and the music was going and her adrenaline, she got her first pull-up right. and she screamed and she was so happy. Or this guy finally picked up a weight that he'd never been able to like that. They weren't trying to beat everyone else in the gym. They weren't focused on trying to win it. Like that wasn't their race, their focus, their intent. Their intent was just to go all out and do the best they can. And they do things that they don't think they're capable of going into it. And that that's where competing against yourself is magic because it pushes us out of that comfort zone to see a little bit more of what we're capable of. Yeah. You have a story about that in your book about um, the competition, like the last moment and everyone's like, no, you lift it, Jake or whatever. And it was a deadlift and it was a new PR for you. Yeah. And, and it's funny because yesterday I PR'd my squat and hey, crushed it for me. I wanted to talk about the 300, 400, 500. I was about to say, yeah. So my goal before I turn 40 is to hit a 300 bench, a 400 squat and a 500 deadlift. And I'm so close on the bench, but I had shoulder issues. So I just took that off squat. I hit 400 yesterday deadlift. I got a ways to go, but I got about two and a half years. Uh, but my buddy I've been training with, who's a strength coach and has done some programming. He was like, man, I think you got another five, 10, maybe 15 pounds in it. And I was like, I don't. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I already failed at 405 because in my head, my goal was 400. And that's all I focused on was I'm going to hit 400. And once I hit 400 mentally, I just I felt it like as soon as I racked it, I was like, oh yeah. And I started to put four or five on there. I got in my own head that I was like, mm, I hit the goal. Yeah. And, and we do that in life. If we set a bar or a goal or a focus that's below what we're actually capable of, then we hit it. But we leave so much space between how much farther we should actually go. And that's the perfect example of happened to me yesterday is I got under that 405. I went down. I was like, nope not coming back up from that. But it was that case of if I just put 405 on first, probably could have hit it because I wasn't in my own head. I wasn't settling at that point that oh, I've already gotten it. Why even go farther versus I'm going for 420 and I may fail at 415 and I have now a new focus and I can make up that gap versus setting the bar too low and actually hitting it. Well, I love that analogy. And I love the fact that like, um, you know, if you're entering a competition or something like you're preparing for a race or a half marathon or whatever it may be. And your whole mindset is I'm going to get first place. I'm going to get third place. I'm going to do this. Well, a lot of times we, we missed the point that we've won already. If we, if we've spent time preparing, because we're already every day getting better and we get to the, the starting line and maybe we don't compete or we don't compete at the level we wanted to compete. But then we look back and like, yeah, I couldn't even run five miles without resting before. And I just finished 13, five or whatever it is. Um, it, there's so much growth in, in the process as well. 
Well, and there's two fascinating pieces about that. The first is we have to learn to enjoy that process of getting better because that's what makes competition race day fun. And that's what it makes it should be fun. Like none of us listening to this are professional athletes anymore. Uh, we, we may have had our heyday. We may have been ultra elite at one time, but where we are now is we should be pushing ourselves hard in training and practice and getting better. But when it comes to race day, we should enjoy it. We should be filled with gratitude to enjoy that we've worked for this moment. Now we get to have fun with it. And a lot of times we forget that because we get so stressed on game day that, that we're not relaxed enough to enjoy it. The second thing is fascinating is when you look at marathons and how marathon scores and times work is it, they are little gaps that shoot up and then drop down and they'll start to grow and they shoot up and they drop down And, and I found it fascinating because you would think they would kind of go like this. But what you would see is if you've ever run a half or a full before, there's mile setters, pace setters. And so you may have a goal for a half marathon of I'm running in an hour 45. And so you're sticking with the pace setter, you're sticking with the pace setter, and you start to drop back a little bit. Man, I'm not going to hit my, my 145 mark. But you see two hours right there. And you're like, I got I got this, I got this. And then the, the author that talked about this said, then you get there and your buddy's like, hey, listen, you got two miles left. You can get under two hours if you go. And you're like, I got this. I got to hit this. And so you sprint. And that's what happens to every single person in that race. When they get to that last mile, they're looking at their clock and they're just going because they're trying to get under that two hour mark or under that 210 mark or under that 215 mark. Because suddenly they have a little more energy left in the tank to get up and go and enjoy what they've done. The hard work's already done. At this point, it's like, how much harder can I push myself? It's about to be over soon. And we don't ever put ourselves in those situations sometimes in life to just kind of push ourselves, to give ourselves a deadline, to something to train for and then, and then get after it. Uh, and I think that's crucial as, as men, as women, as leaders, that, that we constantly find ways to get out of our comfort zone physically, mentally, because therein lies room for growth. And, and there's no question that we see the crossover between if I'm willing to train and do work and get up and go work out when I'm not motiva- motivated or run when I'm not motivated, then I'm going to learn to do the same thing in my work. When I'm not motivated to do this work, I'm going to do it. When I'm really pissed off at my spouse and I'm not motivated to love them, I'm still going to find a way to love them and serve them. And so those areas cross over so much that if we let one area die or one venue and an arena to try that die, we lose the opportunity to build it in other areas. Yeah. It's all about being intentional in everything you do. Like an intentionality takes work and work takes effort. And, and all of those, they can't be always tied to your emotions. You know, nope. you got to set little things in front of you. I think you, t- you're the one that talked about, um, freeze tag or playing tag with the person in front of you in that half marathon you ran or the marathon. Yeah. You ran. And then, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's the striving, always striving for the next thing. But, uh, I kind of see, I, I have this continuum. I, I have, uh, drawn on my whiteboard over here that no one can see, but um, <laughs> on one end is comfort. On yep. the other end is abundance, abundance in relationships, abundance in money, abundance in your whatever. Right. I mean, all these things. Well, it's at the absolute other end of comfort. So the further you move from comfort, the closer you get to abundance. It's a very easy equation, but the problem is, is comfort is comfortable. And uh, so I think that's where 
compete every day is, is like, you have to, you were actually competing with ourselves just to take the next step in doing the hard things to get where we want to get. Yeah. There, there's a, uh, an image that's been circulating recently on Instagram and I wish I knew who, who started it, but it was the idea that being in debt is hard and following a budget is hard. Uh, being overweight is difficult. Getting up and working out every day is difficult. Like you have to choose which hard, which difficult you ultimately want. And, And that's really where that message comes in from competing every day is choose the difficult now, choose the things outside of your comfort zone. Now get after the work to be better so that a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, you're not looking back on, you know, this day in 2020 and thinking, I really haven't changed much. Like not a lot's different in my life. Like you should always look back and be like, man, time flies, but man, I would, that was so different then, or this was so, I was in such a different mental state or position then. And we should always be striving for that. And so we have to learn to choose which hard we want. We want the, the comfort now, and the difficult later or the difficult now and the comfort later for the most part. And that's really where you want to be is choose the difficult work. Now it's the idea of pl- toiling the land, planting seeds is not fun work, but unless you do that before the rains come, you have nothing to harvest later. So speaking of goals, um, this 500 pound deadlift, <laughs> I got a ways on that one, buddy. That is, that is not, that is not a small goal. Um, but what's the plan? Are you just, I mean, are you just lifting every week or I mean, yeah. So, uh, still working on what plan. So the, the squat one is, is there's a company called Serenix, big strength and equipment company. Yeah. So they do squat tober in October and I've done it the last two years, had a big gain and they do dead Simber. And so this is the first year I'll do deadlift dead Simber. Um, but deadlift is one of those that this is more of a mental work than a physical one. Uh, because I mentally struggle with that lift. And so I'm looking forward to that growth opportunity for me, but I plan to do it this year. Uh, I'll do it again next year, but consistently I'm deadlifting and squatting twice a week. Uh, So I plan to kind of keep that pace going, uh, mixing in probably a little more cardio stuff now that it's holiday season and the food and sweets and everything is never ending. But yeah, that's, that's the goal is the bench. I'm super close on if I hadn't injured my shoulder, I'm pretty confident I'd hit it. Uh, so on the deadlifts, I've got to really follow that training program through the dead Simber. And then what I've been working with, with my buddy, Scott. So you, um, what's your contingency plan? And I think I know this, but what's your contingency plan? What's the, what's the plan if the gyms close again, what's the plan if we're all locked down? I'm actually a hundred percent. I mean, I'm terrified if we lock down again, let me preface that. I will fight tooth and nail for that not to happen. Uh, but I built out a garage gym in our new house. So I moved in August. Uh, I've always wanted a garage gym just because for me, time is money. And I, and I, I'm very economic in how I look at that. And so I would travel to friend's house during the early parts of shutdown and train in their garage, just a small group of us. Uh, but as soon as we moved, and as soon as Rogue Fitness started having the equipment available, I was ordering every day that it was coming online. So now if I need to, I just go out in my garage uh, and work out, which helps me because it, it saves me a commute. Uh, there's gyms that are around me that have already closed in terms of like uh, chain gyms. Uh, so I don't really have one conveniently nearby where I can get into. 
And so that's been, uh, that is my game plan is to keep working it that you were going to say, what's my contingency. If I don't hit the goal, I'm like, man, I got two and a half years. I better hit that goal. Yeah, That's no, we're not doing that. (laughs) You you put it into place. You're going to hit it. I would love to hit 500 someday. So it's just a matter of putting a a timing in place and going after it. That's, you know, really, I think that's the story is sometimes be like, Oh, I'd love to have it. My own business. It's like, well, what are you doing about it? I'll say, yeah. Don't just tell us you'd love it. And I think that's uh, something that I love about your story is the fact that, you know, you just were unfulfilled in what you did. And I talked to a lot of men and they just do what they're doing. Uh, I don't out of complacency and out of the paycheck. It's, 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 it's a known, like, I know it's coming. And, and to step outside of that is really fearful for them. What would you say to these men who have always had this dream of owning their own business? Yeah. So I think a lot of us get trapped in this idea that we've gotten to a certain income level, we've gotten to a certain status level and, and for family or whatever reason, we're, we can't make that sacrifice or we don't believe we can make that sacrifice, but there's nothing stopping us from starting a side business. There's nothing starting us from or stopping us from from building a side hustle. And what you may find is the side hustle is exactly what you need to be able to get more value out of the full-time job. And the reason I say that is a lot of times it's okay having a job that meets a certain income level for you, but what are you doing that's going to fulfill you? It doesn't mean sometimes you have to leave that job and go start your own. It could mean, hey, you just need to start a side business. You need to start doing a little bit of work here and there. And, And then you really have no excuse. Because I'm not telling you to leave your day job and go pursue something else. I'm telling you, what are you doing uh, between the hours of 5 p.m. and and 9 a.m.? Where can you find 30 minutes a day, an hour late night? Where are you spending your time early Saturday morning or early Sunday morning building this side business? Then we have no excuses because we can find fulfillment in doing a little bit outside of it just as we can inside. That's why I tell people you should be out experimenting, be curious, like, volunteer at different organizations, try to learn new skills, figure out what you want to do, what you enjoy doing. So even if you can't leave your day job because of the financial commitment your family needs and and all of those things, which are fantastic as a provider, what you need to do is find a creative outlets for you. And sometimes that is that side hustle. And, And eventually some businesses, you get to where your side hustle is making more money than your daytime job, then that's a great opportunity to leave. But if it doesn't, it still creates that creative outlet for you versus just Netflix or, you know, going out to happy hour every day, whatever that is, find those creative outlets to invest time that's going to help fulfill you and help you grow and constantly be challenged. And what you may learn is some of the skills and things you learn building the side hustle actually help you during your day job too. Absolutely. I agree with that 110%. Like everything within my being is um, just being settling in and being okay with what you're doing, there's other ways to skin that cat than just quit everything and start your, your business. So I, um, as a, as I taught for many years in middle school and I, I've heard that you have gone to teams, probably mostly college teams and, and discuss, but you've done some teen stuff. Yep. High school, Uh, college. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk to parents right now. You know, parent, what's your message, your, your big message to parents? And you don't have to go through the whole thing, but. The, uh, the biggest message I would give parents is let your kids struggle. And I know, I, I, I know me not having kids, that's coming from someone that's not a parent. I don't know exactly what you're going through. I don't know what your household's like, but here's what I do know. 
unless your kids learn to lose, to fail and to struggle when they're in the safety of your care at home, they are ill prepared for the world outside. And, and we see that time and time again, we're seeing an entire generation of it. Forgive me if this is anybody on here, but like participation trophies have built a whole sense of entitlement from adults all the way down to kids. And it's the idea that I always deserve to win, even if I haven't worked for it. And the best things that I had growing up for me were to lose, were to face more competitive people, more talented people to get my tail kicked, uh, to want to quit. And my dad saying no, like these are the things that help build my character, build my grit, uh, but taught me like, if you want something, you have to go after it. If you make a mistake, you own that mistake and you get up and keep going. And when you're always taught that you're perfect and you're never given the opportunity to struggle with failure, you don't know how to face it as an adult. And it's just become an entire craze these days that wears me out more than anything else. And so parents, it's okay if your kid loses. It's okay if your kid gets benched. I'm not saying support an abusive coach, but if your kid plays sports and they get benched for having a bad game, it's not the coach's fault. We need to talk to the kids and say, okay, what are we going to learn and what can we do better next time? Right. We need to learn as a, that the kid needs to address the coach. Coach, I messed up. What can I do to get better next week? The same things that we need to be doing as adults when we make a mistake at work, going to our boss, I made the mistake. I own that. What can I do to improve so next time I don't make that mistake? Versus it's someone else's fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. Let me point the finger everywhere else. And so that's the biggest thing. And, and I know, you know, I talked to teams about a lot of like play by play and how do we win the next play and how do we show up and compete? But the one thing about competition that's true is you are not guaranteed to win. It's what I love about sports. It's not the most talented. It's not the richest team. It's the best team or player on that day. And great teams lose time and time again, and crappy teams sometimes find a way to win. But it's in those moments of dealing with failure that we figure out how to get better. Yeah. And that's the only way we grow and get better is by learning to lose and deal with it. We don't have to like it, but we need to learn how to handle it and manage it. And so, yeah, that's my rally cry to every parent. Uh, put your kid in sports. Even if you don't like sports, put them in those environments. Uh, let them learn, let them fail, protect them, but do so far enough away that they have to learn to overcome that failure. That's a, this, this is a relevant story, very related to that because I, I, I'm 100% behind you on that concept. My son is in seventh grade and he plays football. And um, so, you know, there's A team and B team. Yep. And so he got, he got, he's on the B team, but he plays every single, I mean, he, he never comes off the field. I mean, it's like he is on defense and then he's on offense. He's getting the ball. He's making, you know, key plays. And then um, half the team is quarantined. And he, last week he got moved up to the A team and, you know, he actually really just loves being on the B team. He gets pay, played like just nonstop. He's, he's having the time of his life. He gets up there and he's playing and he's a little disappointed. He's only playing offense. And my, my wife, who's, who is a competitor, um, she loves every millisecond of competition. And she's like, so what do you think about being on a team? He's like, they are in a different league. I don't belong here right now. And for us, it's like, this is awesome because what are we seeing? We're seeing so much more effort. We're, it was just kind of cr on cruise control 
And now he's like, I'm, I'm with the big guys. Like these guys are rolling me over. I, I, I'm not getting the ball because <laughs> I'll drop it. And um, I think it's just been an incredible experience of uh, to, to move up to the next level. You really got to dig in and, and everything needs to be earned. And well, and I think that's going to help him in the off season and how much more hungry he's going to be yeah. to work, to work harder. Because if he'd stayed on B team and had crushed everybody, he could have been a little more content in the off season. Dude, he was content on the in season. And so then, then, so then you put him at that next level and he's like, I got to work harder. I got to play harder. There's no plays off. And if you start to develop that mindset of like, I'm not taking plays off, I'm not going to get outworked. Then when he builds that skill level up, he's going to be able to really play at that A team level. But I get it. Like I wanted, when I was in eighth grade, I was on, I was a third string quarterback on A team. And I was like, I want to go to B team. I want to play. I don't want to sit here. I don't want to rotate in with these guys. And over the course of the season, I just kept working the game, working the playbook. Finally, one of the quarterbacks kind of got moved off to a different position. So it was me and another guy for another year or two, and then eventually phased past him. But it was only that I can't go where it's easy. I've got to go where it's hard and learn to take my game to a new level. And we should be doing that as adults. We should be taking on bigger opportunities at work. We should be trying things new uh, that we haven't done before. We should be taking chances and, and being vulnerable in that space so that we can get better. Yeah. 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 And I think, so I, this is a perfect um, transition to adults because I, I talk to a lot of men in marriage and they're just like, ah, oh, my wife's not interested in me and, uh, you know, and nagging me and, and it's boring. And so you've been married, what, a couple of years now? How long? Uh, I just hit five. So I'm five, five and a half. Okay. So five years. How does this relate? How does compete every day uh, work in your marriage? Just keep showing up. Uh, keep showing up to do your best is, is the best from the brand message. The way I actually chatted with some people the other night on a Spartan call about it was the idea that we bring into relationships all the past. So maybe your spouse was in a bad mood yesterday and you're carrying that into today's interaction, even though it's a new day. And we talk about this concept to compete with day one and that every day should be day one. But honestly, every interaction should be day one. And if you treated your spouse today the way you did when you were dating, right? Thank first started dating, <laughs> it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. And so that's kind of how we have to approach it. Instead of carrying all this past, like we got in a fight last week or I'm mad about this. Like, how are we showing up today to be present? And when we mess up, how are we owning it? And then working to be better? Because a lot of times we're disconnected because we're not as men intentionally trying to connect with her. We're not going above and beyond to learn how she needs to communicate with us. Even if we've been married 10 years talking to friends, like we have to learn how we communicate very differently. But then we have to continue to remember that as we show up. It's not just about what we want and when we want it. It's what do they want? And then what can we do to be a little bit different? Like if our goal is to compete, to be better than yesterday, when was the last time you surprised your spouse with flowers? Just because, not anniversary, not anything else. $5 flowers at, at you know, Kroger grocery store will go farther than a $100 steak meal sometimes. Like 
just what are the little things that you're like, if I'm going to raise my game, how can I raise my game? How can I be a little more present today? How can I uh, make sure I'm more in tune with what she needs? How can I be more patient? Like all of those little questions that if we were to ask ourselves when we're going into the gym, how am I going to get stronger today? Well, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Okay. How are you going to be more present with your wife today? Well, I can do this, this, and this. Awesome. Do it. Execute. Where you fall short, do it better tomorrow. Like that's how that ties in. And that ties in with every relationship for us. But obviously the most important one that we have, we need to be showing up that way every day. Yeah. I like that you say, like, take it back to when you very, very first started dating, because that's, that's what I say too, is like, what were you doing when you were pursuing her at the beginning? Like, think of the things, the ways that you were creative, the weird things you did, the way you went way above and beyond. John Cusack, speaker above your head. There you go. Play music. <laughs> That's exactly what it takes. It takes that inc- incredibly like creative. Uh, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Guys are like, how can I have more sex with my wife? It's like, well, what are you doing to get to that point? Are you, are you treating it like you were trying the very first time? Probably not. Guess what? That's what sealed the deal the first time. So, <laughs> Why don't you get back to the basics, right? And it's it. it I don't want to make, um, you know, sex, sexual relationship like the end goal because it's not. You start over every single day, no matter what happens. But it is like you're competing. You are competing to be the best husband that you can be, to be the best dad and all of it every day. Yeah, yeah. So um, a few more questions. I'm yeah. I'm curious how we went from shirts to speaking to a book. Uh, very unplanned, but intentional path. So I started getting asked in 2015 to go speak to companies. Um, a large hospital in Houston did a big event, included me as part of it. Schools and other organizations would reach out, had no idea about the business of speaking, no idea about anything other than you have Tony Robbins and then John Maxwell, and then, you know, whatever. And as I started doing it, um, I really enjoyed it. And the first client that hired me, I remember showing up there, I had a backwards baseball cap at this corporate event, t-shirt on, and I'm just trying to tell my story and I'm as nervous as I can be. And afterwards, Linda, to this day, I will always be in debt to her. And she walked up and kind of pulled me aside and said, you need to do more of this. Like you need to tell more of your story. That's awesome. And I was like, oh, okay, no big deal. 2015. Yeah. So flash forward a year, 2016. Uh, I got a book by a guy named Michael Port called Steal the Show. And Michael wrote a book years before called Book Yourself Solid. It's all about consulting business. I had to read it in grad school. It worked out well when I was in consulting. It's all about how do you build a referable business? So he has this new book called Steal the Show. And I'm like, well, that's different. But it's like how to crush interviews and presentations and all of this. I was like, I read it. And it's all about... Michael's background that I didn't realize was he was an actor and he was in Sex and the City and all these different shows. And he wrote this book as a way of how do you do presentations and interviews and even first dates like you would a theatrical performance where you script it, you read it, table read it, you rehearse it, you work the content, you practice it. You don't just walk up and say, hey, here we go. I'm ready to give this presentation. This is, you know, I haven't practiced any of it. And I remember reading this book and it's like, there's some really good stuff here. Well, then that spring and say April or May, I was at Social Media Marketing World and Michael was hosting a workshop. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go sit in on this packed room. I'm like, what's going on? He calls a few people up that said they were speakers. And over about an hour period, I saw him work with them. And I was like, 
if I'm ever going to get into this, this is the guy. Like it, it was like watching an elite coach change how people presented. And it was little things that you never think of that made dramatic differences. So it's like, okay, this is the guy. So when, when's his conference? Okay. He's got a conference at the end of 2016. That's a pretty pricey conference. I'm going to do it. Screw it. I'm going to do it. So I go. And it's funny because it was Halloween day, November 1st and November 2nd, 2016. And the reason I remember that is because I had a conference in Vegas. I'd already committed to October 28th, 29th, 30th, and maybe the 1st or the 30th. And so to get from Vegas to Florida, I had to take a red eye. And as I'm getting ready to get on the plane to go to Florida that night, I get an email from a Compete Everyday customer who wanted me to keynote her state uh, public relations conference. Now, I've not been promoting speaking. I've done it a little bit. I've done a little bit of content, but I get this email. I was like, okay, something's up. So I get to the conference. I go through the conference. I take notes. And as I'm at this conference, I see big name speakers, authors who are best-selling, New York Times best-selling authors. They're in the audience with me. And I just see them taking notes. And that's my clue of like, if these guys at the top of their game are taking notes, then these people know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that, I said, whatever it takes, I need to work with these people. And like most conferences do at the end, they do an invitation to this elite program. And it was not a cheap investment. And coming out of 2016, which was our best financial year to date at Compete, I said, I'm gambling. This is what we're doing. I said, I don't know if this is the full way we need to go, but I said, everyone on my team for the last year, year and a half has said, our brand advantage is not our products. Our brand advantage is our message and how you tell it. You need to tell it more. And they hammered me on that. And I would do a little bit of video and stuff. And I talked about the book, but they were like, you need to do it more. So when I saw it, I said, I'm, I'm going to make this investment because it scares the crap out of me how much money I'm putting into this, but it's going to hold my feet to the fire to do the work. And so at that point, that was November, I spent five to six days, December, January, February, and March in Philadelphia training wow. all day with these guys. Um, and there were about 25 of us together in this grad class is what they called their program, grad school. And we did it morning till late afternoon, everyday training finish their conference. And as it is, I'm learning bits and pieces of the business. And I'm like, I want to do this. And there were some things kind of said throughout the process that gave me the confidence that this was a path I could pursue. And so I was like, I'm in, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know anything about the business, but this is where I want to go. So I started telling people, this is what I'm doing and have a buddy in Nashville that teaches the business of speaking. So called him say, Hey, I want in your course. I want to learn how to do the business side. So I went through his course started applying it, using it, and then just started getting on stages. And honestly, it's felt natural more than ever. And I say that I thought t-shirts were it. And sometimes we get going down a path and we pivot and realize there's something else. And my mom laughed about a year ago because she said, I want you to know, like when you were like high school, middle school, high school, your youth pastor at church said you were going to be a pastor one day. And I laughed. I was like, you don't know what I'm doing on the weekends, mom. I'm not a youth pastor. <laughs> but I laughed because he saw elements that I'm now getting to use. Right. And that's kind of how it happened. And honestly, the book, I'd always had the book out there that I wanted to write a book. But it wasn't until 2018, 
2019, early 2018, early, or sorry, late 2018, early 2019, I started losing speaking opportunities to people. I was confident I was better on stage and better delivering a message, but they had a book and the meeting planner told me point blank. We love your content. We think you're great, but this person has a book. And I said, okay, I'll see you next year. And so I got to work on it. And so worked on it last year, got it done, went through all the edits on it, which was a beating, and then got to roll it out this year in the, in the middle of a pandemic. And it's been awesome. Uh, it's generated some more opportunities. I've got four other books outlined, uh, starting book number two this year. Um, but I have all these different content and ideas because the way I look at it is my mission is to help people learn how to compete every day. At the end of the day, if you want to build a winning mindset, I want to help you do that. It's not about me getting the credit. It's about you having a winning mindset to go after the career, the life you want more than anything. I can tell a little bit of that story with a t-shirt. Some t-shirts I I wear, like this one says, like be addicted to bettering yourself. Like I can paint pieces of it and I can create video content around it that helps, but there's, that's, that's it. Speaking, I can create questions in your mind that make you pursue more. Book. I can take you down that road a little bit deeper and give you action tools on how to run with it. And so the way the podcast is the same way, it's all part of that same ecosystem now that just says, how can we help you build that winning mindset? I'm not a sports psychologist, so I get them on all the time to learn from them. I don't have a PhD, so I read like a madman to see what can I learn? How can I relate it to? What are the stories that I have that I can connect those dots? I don't have these high credentials that a lot of people do but I'm passionate about helping people because I know how many opportunities I missed out on between 16 and really 30 because I failed to see certain things because I failed to look at things a specific way. And the last thing I want is somebody else to have that same position, whether they're 18 or whether they're 55. And so, yeah, that's really how those dots connected. The book was a necessity to get to a different place speaking and more obviously going to be required to keep raising it. Um, But yeah, it was just, how can I give this message better? How can I help better? This is what I need to do. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great book. And the only hesitancy I had was, well, it's going to be all about sports and sports analogies. But the thing that I realized was, which I don't have a problem with sports, but you know, you just have this preconceived notion, right? Well, yeah, sure. There's a lot of athlete and, and, um, sport things, stories, because those stories are so relative in getting better in everything that we do. So um, that's my encouragement to anybody who's listening to this is like, don't, don't get those ideas in your head. You get, you get this book. I actually did the audio book because um, I do audio books and I do reading and that it was awesome. It was your voice. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. I always like the author's voice. Um, it's a personal favorite of mine. So I'll it- say I've heard the opposite and that I was passionate about doing it because the books I've enjoyed the most are the actual author. So I was like, there's no way I can't be a hypocrite. If that's what I love, this is what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, I'm, I may get this wrong. This is, this is a risk. Uh, you really like John Acuff. Is that right? Big, big fan of Acuff, uh, fascinated by his, his work, his career. So much of it is that underneath the surface iceberg that most of us don't realize. Uh, but yeah, very big fan of John's work read all of his books are on the shelf behind me as as well as John Gordon. You just did an interview with John Gordon. And I tell people all the time, you need to pick up, you know, energy bus, the carpenter, you know, it's just like these, maybe they're lesser known authors, but they're incredible. They're incredible. I mean, 
Gordon, I think, is up there now. I think yeah, Gordon's I've mainstream. Yeah. Acuff, I think, is he's very well known in the faith-based circles in South. I think he's on that. I think his new book is going to put him over the edge in terms of really mainstream. And he already does a ton of speaking and content, but he's great. And, and he, his first book, uh, Start, Punch Fear in the Face, was the audio book I heard which I was like, I'm in. I love this guy. I love his mentality. Gordon, uh, I actually told John this, like his business model is one that really gave me inspiration when I was pivoting and and tweaking compete is like, I really like elements of what he's done and how he's done it. And so I'm watching him from a learning perspective of like, Oh, I really like how you laid this out and what can we learn from you? And ACUF's got a very different model. So what can I learn from you? And you just find these different stories and elements and you try it and you're like, Oh, that's not really for me. So let me try something else. Uh, but yeah, I, I try to find those guys inspiration because I mean, Gordon does a book a year and it's yeah. fascinating. And his style though, fascinates me because, and I've got to correct myself because I initially would read his books and say, I can't write like this. I can't write the fable format. That's just not my natural style. But as I'm currently reading world's greatest salesman by Ogmandino, right. same format. It's fable style with affirmations built in. I'm challenging myself to say, could I? Could I even just take an excerpt of this and create something that we could put on a poster or shirt? And so I'm challenging myself to get out of my normal box of how I write and say, can I write something a little bit different? Because I think those are incredibly popular the way Gordon's made a mainstream and, and Joshua Metcalf and some other guys that, that have picked up a lot of momentum in those books. So um, yeah. I think reading and, and them have been huge in, in just development and more than anything, inspiration. It's not, man, it'd be so nice to be John Gordon. It's, man, look what John Gordon's done. And then you hear about his story, about how he had some failed restaurant ventures, and you get to know a little bit more, and you're like, man, this guy's got a story. Cool. What story can I make? The real deal. It, it really is the real deal. And I think that's where we need to you know, really spend our time studying these people that are willing to share those stories like you are. Um, and I, kind of to close this out, I, I, uh, your, your texts, I signed up for a text yeah. from you. Um, those are incredible. Like wh- how long have you been doing those and where did that idea? So for, for the listeners, I get a text, gosh, a couple times a week, at least maybe I'm missing some, but no, I was about to say, I, I haven't been as daily as I've wanted to, uh, because I haven't wanted to overload people, but yeah, I mean, if you text compete to nine, seven, two, nine, four, five, nine, one, one, three, you'll get to interact with me. Um, and, and I don't mean that as like, Oh, you get to talk to me. Uh-huh. I just mean, I try to send a audio message, a video message or a text message three to five times a week to help you start the day in the day, start the week with just that right mindset. Um, and honestly, it's pretty new. Like I, it's a service. It's not a cheap service. No, uh, I can imagine. I, I'm, I'm paying a little bit more than I normally would. But I felt it was important right now for a couple of reasons. One, the more time I'm on social media, the more I hate it. Uh, And I just think there's going to be a lot of changes in the next 12 to 18 months with a lot of people in their relationship with social media, especially. I hope Um, there is. I hope I I, I do too. And it, so that's a big piece. Um, Like I have a problem just getting on. I got upset last night because I got on and Mark Cuban had made a comment about, did you see this? No, but I can only imagine because he doesn't share the same viewpoint as me. Well, (laughs) but he made the comment. He said in in Georgia, the state election is is coming up. Instead of donating money 
to campaigns that are just going to run ads that insult each other, I would challenge people to donate to the local food bank where the impact is going to be immediately felt during the holiday season. People went after him. What? They're like, oh, you're a billionaire. You should just donate all your money because you can feed the state twice over. Like it was all of this stuff. I thought he was going to close everything down. No, 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 no. And I, I got really upset at how people responded to him. And I was like, oh, this goes back to the entitlement. Like, and I just kind of had to, to get offline. But I noticed, I was like, these things are setting me off. And I know some of the accounts are real and some, a lot of the accounts are fake. But I was like, I just don't like this venue. And so I actually spent... I bet I spent eight hours over the last handful of days cleaning out my Twitter. And what I did was unfollowed and I'm still in the process, unfollowing a ton, muting a ton of accounts and then putting everything else on list. Do I want to read about mental performance and leadership? Cool. It's just a list. Do I need to follow my Panthers on Sunday? Yep. There's my one list. And so now when I go on, I control it more, but I know other people are need to be doing the same or they're getting off. And so one, with social media changing and everyone's relationships changing, I want to find a way to communicate with you where I can still be that chief encouragement officer. And the second thing is, is as people kind of honestly deal with COVID and if we have to go on another shutdown or certain areas are already doing curfews, I want people to know they're not alone. Yeah. And so if they just sign up, like, yeah, I'm going to send you early access to a Black Friday collection, but you're going to get one of those out of 25 text messages that are like, Hey, here's a good way to start your week or here's this. And so that's why I started. And so that's why I'm willing to make that investment every month, knowing that it's not a massive chain list yet. People will ask me questions on here and I'll just respond like, well, give me more context or here's my X, Y, and Z thoughts. Um, but it's the same I do with emails. Like I want to be somewhat available um, to individuals to help them because I've taken the name of chief encouragement officer. And so that's just another way I can do it without you having to be in our Facebook group or online to keep that going. Yeah. And I think it's incredible. I, I, I have um, a love hate relationship with social media, absolute love hate relationship with social media. But when I heard the text thing, I'm like, I, I uh, got on the phone and called up my business partner and said, this is where it's at. We need to we need to have a text list and be sending people encouraging u- updates that keep their nose out of the stuff that's going to discourage them. And so I, I just wanted to tell you that those the investment um, has been already. Uh, hey, you invested in me. I love it. It's incredible. The messages that. you can open them when you want. You know, there's a, a link to a video or or even audio. I think today's was audio. Yep. So insanely cool. So. Um, I just, I just want to kind of commend you on taking the step on that. It's, it's really cool. And thanks for sharing that. Also, we'll make sure that all of your stuff is in the, in the bio or in the, um, the show notes so that awesome. people can find out, uh, get a shirt, get your book, get on your text list, all the amazing things you have, you have groups, you have all, all sorts of um, things available to pretty much anybody at any place. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're all I got to work on that. It's a hard place to be. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, and, but I think that's all of us as, as parents, as leaders, we want to be accessible. We want to help. But at some point, like we kind of have to know when we have to set those boundaries so that we can recharge to be at our best. And that's really where my, the text came from. And a lot of is, is is I reevaluate how much content I'm creating right now. I want to do it in a little more personal way. Um, that isn't, oh my gosh, we have to be everywhere all the time. 
let's be in fewer places and invite more people into those fewer places to be more community. Absolutely. Yeah. Get behind that every day. Well, Jake, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's incredible. I, um, it's, I've been having a blast watching it for the last five years and I look forward to 20 more years plus. So thanks a lot. Cheers to that, man. Thank, thank you so much. You've seen quite a bit of the, uh, twists and turns and uh, anybody listening, if you hear this conversation, if anything we talked about struck a question, uh, if you're curious about anything that we've mentioned or need me to go in greater detail, uh, you can always, obviously you can shoot us on the text, but shoot me an email to jake at compete I'm more than happy to answer any of them. Awesome, Jake. Thank you very much and have a great Thanks, week. Thanks, man. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. I know that I really enjoyed my conversation with Jake Thompson, and I hope you did too. If you are listening for the first time, do yourself a huge favor, hit that subscribe button that's right down below you if you're in YouTube or the podcast. We want you to hear all the amazing content we have. Some other things I'd love for you to do, follow Jake. Go find all the all the links are in the show notes. I encourage you to have get yourself filled up with encouraging and great messages every day. Buy one of his shirts. It's a daily reminder on your chest of how amazing you are and what you have within you. And so with that, I would love to have any men who are listening to this who have not done so. Check us out on Facebook at the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. It is a group. We also have a page for those of you who are women or um, don't wanna be in a group, you can follow our page. There's some great things there. We will post our podcast episodes. We'll post some stuff that we sell. Uh, You won't regret it, but that's the Brotherhood of Fatherhood on Facebook. You can also follow us on Instagram, Brotherhood of Fatherhood. And if you want a Brotherhood of Fatherhood shirt and some other really cool swag, you can't get any other way than ordering one of our Brotherhood of Fatherhood member boxes go to www.brotherhoodfatherhood.com there's no the in there so it's brotherhoodfatherhood.com thank you so much to my value to my valued listeners i hope you have an amazing day